Yeah, so value stream management is almost, it's very similar to what it, what happened when it's kind of Malcolm Baldrige, right, stuff, quality, thinking, end-to-end, value stream, understanding in the software development lifecycle, from planning to actually running where is waste and how can we eliminate waste so we can have much better handoffs and much better flow across the value stream. As an IT leader responsible for service reliability, you know how critical it is to maintain uptime and responsiveness. Protecting and growing your business's reputation depends on it. IT leaders like us know that when we find what works, everything just flows. In this podcast, we'll explore the possibilities of service reliability today and tomorrow and hear from those driving innovation and consistent performance. I'm Sean McDermott, founder and CEO of Windward Consulting Group. Welcome to Find Flow. Before the episode gets started, we've created a gift for you. It's a short guide called Nine Ways to Accelerate Your Service Reliability Strategy. As a leader in IT, doing everything you can to contribute to business performance, This is the perfect start to optimize your service availability. You can get it now over at windward.com. That's W-I-N-D-W-A-R-D.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Fine Flow Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McDermott. And today we have Evelyn Orlick with us. Uh, Evelyn is a researcher. She's been on our podcast before. We're always uh, happy to have Evelyn back because she's always got all these great insights. And... uh, this recently, they her firm put out a report called uh, around upskilling. So we're going to talk about that and uh, what all the domains are and and why they did it and things like that. So, uh, Evelyn, welcome to the podcast. But welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, Sean, thank you. Great to be back uh, talking to you and uh, sharing some of the details we found around upskilling, of course. Excellent. All right, so let's talk upskilling. So this is um, this is kind of interesting because a lot of what we do with our customers is around organizational change management, right? And the way we kind of define that is the ability to really change the organization, hence the term, um, to increase the adoption and success of IT projects. And as we all know, a lot of IT projects really kind of fail based on adoption, and that that's all related to buy-in, it's related to skills, it's related to training, it's all kinds of things, right? So I think this is a very relevant uh, conversation to have because especially as, you know, you know the, we kind of are seem to be slipping into a recession and, and a lot of our customers are looking at how do they do more with what they have and how do they slow down hiring and rely on their existing staff, uh, upskilling starts becoming a very important topic, right? So, so I think your report is very timely. Um, for you know, some of our listeners to really understand what's what's going on in the world around upscaling. So let's get started. So tell me about this. This is not your first report. You've done a number of them. Um, tell me what, uh, why you guys do this report, and what you know, what the objective is for people reading it. Sure. So yes, this is not our first. This is actually our fifth report, um, just released uh, April twenty fifth, um, and. We are excited because this year we had over 1,400 um, individuals across different IT functions uh, answer the survey, which we launched last year. 
And then, of course, the first three months of this year, we analyzed the data and uh, reached out to a variety of sponsors and others um, to produce this fifth report. The reason why we do this is, uh, I would say, there are really three reasons. The first one is, as DevOps Institute, we have a interest in sharing with the IT community what are the essential skill domains. Uh, and those are, I share with you a little bit later, and within those skill domains, what are the top must-have skills? Um, and then, of course, we want to take the next click into these must-have skills and share um, additional challenges, which are uh, around upskilling. Why are people not able to upskill? Um, what are the challenges around those? And we can go into deep uh, into deep dive there. Uh, and then last but not least, of course, we do, um, second point is we do certifications. And we do believe that there is a certification angle of upskilling. It's not the only one because we also have events and we also have coaches and advisors who help. So that's the second reason why we do it. And the third reason is purely, uh, it's maybe a selfish one, but I've been in IT for over 30 years. Uh, I'm turning three times 20 this year. And I tell you, um, I haven't seen a lot of change in uh, how organizations are actually um, leveraging IT until the pandemic hit. And we realized during the pandemic that we need to make sure that we have the right skills to fast and better deliver what's necessary when we work in this hybrid world and when we have the digital challenges uh, in, in solving them. And that's where I, why upskilling <clears throat> is essential and very important. Um, because again, professionally, as an industry analyst and as a research director and as a chief research officer at the DevOps Institute, I find it important that people know how and where to upskill to be professionally and humanly ready for the future and for today. Yeah, I think this is this is going to be a really interesting conversation because I think it's like I said earlier, I think it's very relevant to what's going on now. You know, especially you know when you when you hear like a lot of these tech companies laying people off. But I, I those are headlines, right? When you know Google and Facebook, but we all we all now know that they overhired. But, yeah. um, you know, I think the recession coming is real, right? We're seeing it inside of our customer base and, and the slowing down of things. And, you know, job, I mean, I just read an article this morning about, you know, job markets tightening and things like that, which is so interesting because a year ago they were completely out of control. But, uh, and I, but I think IT is also somewhat of a, in a bubble, right? I mean, there's just so much demand for IT and technology due to really the rapid I think the rapid pace and increase of, of digital transformation projects inside of organizations. So, so let's talk about upscaling. So what are the, what are the domains that you guys really focus in on with this report? Yeah. So we have for the last five years, always focused on the domain of process framework skills, technical skills, human skills, leadership skills, and automation skills. And they have always been very, uh, those are the ones we have added a few, but we don't need necessarily couple them in the report, but those are business skills, cognitive skills, and analytical skills. But those, uh, those other ones I just mentioned are the ones which we always uh, focus on. And it's interesting when uh, during the pandemic, last year's report, because um, we asked which of those domains are the must-have in priority order. Last year, uh, it was human skills was a top followed by process skills, followed by technical skills. Um, 
this year it's actually quite different. Uh, we have process skills, process framework skills such as DevOps, ITIL, SRE. You know, you could argue are those process frameworks or not, but mm-hmm. it's kind of a that's a different conversation. But those have come out as the must-have with technical skills as the second priority, then human skills, then leadership skills, and then last, of course, automation skills. So a, a, a somewhat of a shift relative to this. And this is, of course, important to us uh, in two ways. One, we, of course, at the DevOps Institute, we, of course, enable, uh, evangelize, train, certify DevOps. But we also recently just got acquired by PeopleSearch. And PeopleSearch is, if uh, you don't remember who they are, let me just quickly refresh. Those are the guys who actually bought ITIL as an intellectual property from the uh, Axelos uh, team, which was actually kind of a United Kingdom government function way back in when ITIL started. And they also own Prince2, which is around the pro- um, project management, which is really, really cool because now these combinations of frameworks um, and its development and its certification are all in one organization. And we're excited about that acquisition. That's super interesting. So let's talk about these domains because, uh, you know, you know, process skills make sense to me. Technical skills make total sense to me. Human skills make sense to me. Um, leadership skills, right? So where does automation come in? Because that, that's kind of an interesting one domain that, you know, you don't normally see fitting in those other four. So why is, why is automation a domain for you guys? <laughs> great, great comment and perfect uh perfect for me as a as an industry analyst you know i've been covering before i joined uh devos institute i've been with forrester research for uh, almost 15 years and during that time i've been covering uh automation and the tools uh for the longest time across all different domains um and it is interesting because in my inquiries with all kinds of leaders in enterprises besides the vendors in these organizations, they always thought and they think that that shiny new object, that next monitoring tool, that next service desk, that next uh, CI/CD tool or testing tool is going to save the day. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't. Because if we look at uh, mean time to repair and if we look at outages and if we look at all these different metrics, uh, yes, some of the digital native organizations and enterprises have very, very different uh, outages. They might have one a year, uh, where some of the others, they have six a year. Um, but they have bought all these tools, but it still hasn't done the, the job. Um, so that's why I brought that angle in as well. And that's why we brought in that perspective as well, because we do believe it has to be the old clunker people process technology and you know while technology is technology such as serverless and computing you cannot have technology without automation because the vast and really fast change in technology we do have to have automation and we do have to have automation skills because otherwise we're just running out of gas which is why we brought automation in as that is a specific skill to, uh, to do. Let me give you an example. Site reliability engineering, which was really originated by Google, I believe, uh, many, many years ago. It is, while it is a 
best practice framework, it also heavily relies on observability and application performance monitoring automation tools and machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence capabilities to really get a handle on the vast and great and deep and wide tech stack. And without automation, a site reliability engineer could not do her job. And that's why. So I'll give you a different example. <laughs> this, is okay. a, this, is a, this is a real life example. Um, probably, so 2020 was pan, beginning of the pandemic. So probably around 2017, uh, I looked inside of my company and I was like, man, we are, our whole back office is so manual. And our accounting system, you know, we had just moved over to a new accounting system. We actually had a human capital component to that, that we were able to start, you know, doing things, tracking things, you know, separate spreadsheets. We're now had it in the system. And, um, but my, my HR team and my accounting team, you know, they printed out tons of stuff. We had employee files everywhere. And it just seems so inefficient to me because I'm an automation guy. Like that's my thing. Like you, you're speaking my language right now. And I went to my account, my back office team. And I said, look, we got to start like digitizing everything and uh, getting everything into the system and get off of paper. And boy, were they so resistant, so resistant. And I just kept saying, look, we got to do things differently. And I think there really was this idea of if I change, then why do they need me anymore? Right. And I, I worked with a lot of that with my customers when we were doing automation of IT projects and workflow automation. And my old company, RealOps, that was a runbook automation platform. And um, but now I'm living it as a CEO, right, with my staff trying to convince them, like, you know, guys, this is not what about replacing you. By the way, they all, they all still work for me now. Um, and eventually I just I just had to tell them, I said, this is not a option. You're going to have to. I want you to, and I, we hired people to come in and scan old employee files and put all the data in and things like that. And we moved everything. And then, you know, and they, they finally started coming around board on it. And then the pandemic hit, right. And we, we literally walked out of our offices and never missed a beat because everything was digitized. The entire process was, 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 it wasn't, there was some automation, but the entire process was digitized. And, you know, they actually came to me like a year later and they're like, this was like the best thing we ever did because they would have never been able to do their job. They had to go back in the office every day to get files and back and forth from their homes. Um, so, you know, and the thing I do right now is I try to tell everybody's like, how do we do things better? Like whatever we're doing today, how do we do it better? And I'm a big believer of saying we do it better by investing in technology and using that technology to drive automation and automate. So that not to like say, look, I'm going to automate you out of a job. You, you, you've been here for, I mean, I've had people, you know, my back office team has probably been here for, you know, anywhere from 13 to 23, 23 years, 25 years. He's like, one of them. and my CFO has been with me for almost 25 years and um, none of them have been replaced. Right. But it's like, how do we do your job better so that you have more time to do strategic things and more innovative thinking around how we're doing our back office and how we become more efficient and less of this day to day stuff that really just is blocking and tackling. It doesn't add a lot of value. So that's that's my real example. Okay, so let's jump into this. Um, Love it. Meaningful work, right? Meaningful work. Mean, meaningful that's exactly work. What, 
people are looking for. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So let's click into some of these domains. You know, I'm using your terminology. You kept saying click in. So let's click in. Uh, so let's click into the domains. Like what's uh, what's coming up? Number one, uh, number one, number two, number three. I think you actually mentioned it, but let's kind of dig a little bit into that of, of what are the skills that are really kind of popping up in those areas that you think, you know, people need to be yeah. focusing on. Yeah, certainly. So let's go quickly on the process framework skills. We're seeing that, um, of course, DevSecOps and DevOps are the uh, number one um, frameworks. Agile has always been on top, but Agile is uh, is one of those things, right? It's not it's not really a process framework. It's more of a way of of, of doing things. But DevSecOps, DevOps is number one, or in this case, number two, cyber reliability engineering, value stream management is the next one, then design thinking and systems thinking, then ITIL, uh, and then data ops. Um, there's a whole bunch of others. Chaos engineering is starting to show up with uh, well, well, about 27. What was the third one again? Cyber reliability engineering no, and value stream. Yeah, what's, value stream what's value stream engineering? Yeah, so value stream management is almost, it's very similar to what it, what happened when it's kind of Malcolm Baldrige, right, stuff, quality, thinking, end-to-end, value stream, understanding in the software development lifecycle, from planning to actually running where is waste and how can we eliminate waste so we can have much better handoffs and much better flow across the value stream. And so... That, I think, is, is fascinating um, that this has bubbled up to really number t- number three, or in this case, if we count Agile into number four. Um, another one which is quite interesting is data ops. Um, as we are, uh, if you think about the environment, there is so much data, and really having an engineering uh, understanding of how to operate data so that you actually produce insights is essentially a critical engine for the, the, the digital organizations of the future. Um, and then another one, which is kind of at the bottom, but I think it will uh, be even more important, particularly if we continue on the AI journey, is model ops. So all these AI models out there need to be managed. They need to be uh, organized, just like any data model. I'm an old database person, right? Ingress, Oracle, all of that stuff many years ago. But model ops is very much uh, having the organization of folks and the, the mind to manage these these models in the AI world. Even so, it is rather uh, further down. It's, I think, number eight or so in the process frameworks. It is something of importance, particularly as we continue on the journey of and in artificial intelligence, right? These models in AI need to be managed and uh, model ops is exactly that, that management of those models across the AI and the machine learning. This is also, by the way, uh, if I look at the skill gaps, because we have compared the must-have versus frameworks to the skill gaps, this is actually uh, fairly high with 17% of our survey respondents said that they have huge skill gaps uh, in that particular uh area. So what's the, the, what's the second domain that was the most, most important? Yeah, you guessed it, technical. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, right, makes sense. Um, as IT people, we love technology. Uh, and of course, technology is very uh, important. And there are no surprises here. Containers, container orchestration um, is, even so, it's kind of a low level 
uh, uh, skill, it is extremely important. There's a lot of containerization going on in the uh, hybrid world. Security and cybersecurity is with 50%, the number two must-have skills. Then cloud compute platforms, all kinds of, you know, public cloud, private cloud, hybrids, all of that. Um, and then uh, application technologies, those are REST APIs, all of those types of things. Databases, 42% of our survey takers said databases are important because, yeah, we still have large databases of either old or modern uh, in the background to manage all of the different services and applications and support them with data. Um, and then um, one important thing, it goes from 54% like container orchestration all the way down to you will... Do not laugh. Mainframe knowledge is still there. I can believe that this is essential, particularly in the financial industries where we have still a significant amount of mainframe. This one is going to blow in our face because we have a lot of people in this space who are retiring. Yeah. A lot of people, right, who don't. There's. Can you imagine a, a, Gen, a Gen Z person? You tell them, hey, you got to pick up some mainframe knowledge. They're going to run away with their hair on fire. So... I think that one uh, is is going to be a, a challenge in the in the future. I, th I think that's a huge challenge, actually. Now you bring it up, I haven't thought about it in a while because I haven't thought about mainframes in a while. But they're so prevalent out there and so much in use. So let's let's just kind of like dig into that one a little bit. What do you like? Do you have any ideas on strategies for some of these companies that are saying, "Look, I mean, we've got database people that are you know mainframe people that are retiring because I think there I think there's going to be a huge wave." Um, any any suggestions for our listeners that might be thinking that? Yeah, there are, you know, the system integrators, um, multiple system integrators have uh, still some skills and they're upskilling those folks. I think there is a potential um, opportunity for um, multi-sourcing in that environment, but that, again, causes other challenges. Um, I don't really have an answer, really. Interestingly, I don't have an answer. I'm hoping that there is enough automation, uh, back to our automation topic, to bring in. I just saw that BMC today actually bought a, uh, I think they're called Model 9. It's a database, uh, some database automation uh, tool on the mainframe. And so even so BMC, right, they have a big mainframe install base, and you would say, yeah, that's great for them. But I think there are um, some some signs, and I am hoping that many of these vendors who are in the automation space will uh, help their customers to some extent. But there's not really a good answer, you know. Yeah. Interesting. Tough, tough question. Yeah. All I, right. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, no, I don't actually. I mean, I, I think that I think you bring up a really good point, right? If you're if you're a, a an engineer, let's say a young engineer coming out of school or something like that. And you say, hey, uh, I'm going to have you work on technology that's 40 years old. Um, I don't think you're going to get a lot of interest. But I think if you maybe look at it from an outsourcing perspective and going out to some you know, different um, regions of the world where they would pretty much learn just about anything that you put in front of them, maybe you can actually you know, bring in a, a new crop of people and train them. But then, yeah. And if you're an outsourcer trying to do it, then you've got to have access to all the mainframe tools and mainframe systems to do that. And that's a pretty, that's a hefty investment too. So no, it's not my world. Uh, I worked at BMC for a year after I sold real ops to them. And so I'm very, very much aware of BMC's install base and, and 
how it continued to grow actually when everyone said it was mainframes are going away and I'm like, well, the numbers aren't showing that. So, yeah. Um, awesome. Okay. So, so we talked about, um, process frameworks. We talked about technical skills. Let's go into the third one. What's the, the next one? Human, yeah. human skills. Um, interesting. Do, I, do, IT, do IT people need human skills? I mean, I, I <laughs> yeah, you're kidding, right? You're <laughs> kidding. Of course they do. Um, they, they, they must. And, and, and here's why. Um, the biggest, the biggest skill gap, it just blew me away. The biggest skill gap in human skills is collaboration and cooperation. 35%. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. The second biggest skill gap is interpersonal skills. Now that one, um, I hate to stereotype people, right? Because I am actually an IT person myself. I'm in IT ops. I've done development and all of that, but, um, Really, truly, having the let's let's just focus on collaboration and cooperation that has and is relating to the silos many of these group folks have been in, right? If you are a service desk person, you really kind of worked in your service desk. Um, if you are in testing or in QA or you're a developer or you are architect or you are uh, infrastructure engineer, platform engineer, or, or something like that, you kind of stayed within your silo. Um, and maybe there was collaboration in there, but above and beyond, there was very little. Well, that's changed because we have tons and tons of dependencies today. And you know that better than I do because you've been in this space. And these dependencies are essential. And not just from a process perspective, from a technology perspective, but also from an automation perspective and from a problem and resolution perspective. If, if it takes, you know, if we have an outage and it takes us a war room uh, and it takes us multiple minutes to figure out what's happening, uh, that is all dollars. I don't know what the outage per minute costs today. There's tons and tons of research and different data. But if we don't collaborate, it will cost a business. And so that's why it is essential that we do have collaboration skills. Now, in the pandemic, we started to do a lot more collaboration uh, than we are doing now as we are going back to the office, which I think is really mind-boggling to me. But I think it has to do with that in the pandemic, we maybe have had a better, higher trust, more psychological safety because we could bring ourselves more into the organizations and, you know, there was a lot of diversity and inclusion discussions. There were a lot of things which happening politically. And I think that psychological safety was higher during the pandemic than it is now again or how it was before. And so a, a human, a DevOps human, an IT human, an IT person must really uh, have that, that collaboration skill. That's an absolute challenge. And then, of course, problem solving. That's why we are in IT. I would vote and I would say that most people who go into IT love to solve problems. That's one. Communication skills, flexibility and adaptability, personal value commitment, and then sharing and knowledge transfer, which really is associated with the collaboration. Those are the top must-have skills in human skills. Excellent. So, um, for in the essence of time, do you want to kind of hit the other two very quickly and then we can kind of talk about you know, I really like to talk about, okay, you read this report, you know, what, what suggestions do you have for people? So, 
let's just hit those yeah. last two real yeah. quick and then uh, leadership yeah. and automation. And then let's jump into, you know, what do you do with all this information now? Yeah, absolutely. So leadership, um, we found a diplomacy, influencing people and culture, trust building, this is in priority order, visionary, managing change, empowerment and risk taking as the top seven, I call them the top seven, because everybody talks about the top six. Um, di diplomacy, of course, right, is 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 essential because we have all these different diverse uh, groups and teams and roles. So that's leadership. And then if we think about automation, um, there are some interesting uh, conclusions which we found, um, which is around some of the some of the uh, new newer technologies such as observability, um, application performance management. Um, chaos engineering tools, um, AI and machine learning tools, um, uh, let's see, infrastructure management, right? The old boring infrastructure management uh, is one of the top, it's actually the third currently reworked and transformed automation tool. And then, of course, CI, CD, IT service management, release management, kind of the typical suspects we have had um, in the past. So that's really kind of the highlights on those two, la uh, two last ones. Um, in terms of what to do, so, so let me ask I you. Think, let me ask you a question because I'm, well, I'm actually sure. I'm. I, I was surprised to hear hear that like emotional intelligence is not on that leadership thing, right? Because I'm starting. You know, I, I sat in a presentation last week on emotional intelligence, and um, the person that was basically giving it was saying that this could be like the number one leadership skill, right? Of how do you how do you connect with people on an emotional level to motivate them and get them into the mindset of, of a, a more positive mindset? And how do you, and as a leader, the more you can get your staff thinking, you know, thinking positively, thinking um, in a way that's in a positive way, then those will generate the feelings that they need, you know, to really start sparking action. You know, it's the same thing. Like if you if you're if you're in a negative, you know, everything kind of looks negative, right? Everything like maybe your company just laid off a bunch of people, and and this is kind of this is kind of relevant to today, right? Because there is a lot of things going on out there. There's a lot of stuff in the news, and then you're you know, there's, now you're starting to hear people, you know, companies laying off, tech companies laying off, and you know that's creating you know anxiety among people and staff. Like, was my job safe? You know, like you know, Disney just laid off seven thousand people. Um, you know, so as a leader, you got to get that mindset turned back, right? And say, okay, hey, I know there's bad stuff going on, but you know, we've got a job to do, and we have the we have the ability to take this and, and opportunity to create something even better. And so, I'm I'm kind of interested. Did did that show up? Does that show up other ways in your survey, or is it just kind of not covered? Yeah, well, it's the second one. If you don't ask the question, it doesn't show up. But I have a thought on that, uh, or a comment. I absolutely agree on EQ. But I don't think this is just a leadership skill. If we don't have EQ, and I and we call that human skills, right? Human skills, that is really emotional intelligence. If we don't have EQ, um, empathy and all, all the different things, social interactions, communication, um, then that, that that's missing. And I, I would argue this is not just a leadership skill. And those who say it should just be, or those emphasizing it should be a leadership skill. I would argue that actually leads people to think, well, my leader should be having that, but I can be I can be a jerk. I can be 
I can be negative, I can be whatever, the opposite of that. And I think it is, a, it is what was there first, a chicken and the egg, because I think teams and cultures are shaped by leaders, by individuals, by managers, and sometimes, sometimes uh, uh, yes, leaders cast a shadow, I agree, but leaders can, can also, um, or lead, while leaders cast a shadow, not all leader is, not every leader is a manager. There could be a leader in a group who is not a manager, who could cast shadow to the rest of the team with high emotional intelligence, and that person might just lead uh, a very, very small task being a service desk analyst, for example, right? So I think, yes, uh, it's a long answer. We didn't ask the question. But second, I wanted to make sure to make that comment. I will agree with you on that. I think it is very much a human skill. And, but it's, I also believe that it's a key, key skill of leadership. That being said, you don't have to have the title leader or manager or supervisor yeah. in your title to be a leader. Like you can be an individual contributor and be a leader because we, as you said, one of the most important skills is collaboration, right? And, you know, you don't have to be uh, a leader to be, you know, uh, you don't have to have the title of team lead in a collaborative environment to be a leader, right? So, yeah. so we don't have to go on that point too much, but I, I do agree with you. Uh, yeah. Excellent. All yeah. right. So, so people are going to get this report. They're going to download. They're going to read it. Um, what do you, you know, to kind of close this out, what do you think um, the key takeaways are? What should people be thinking and what should our listeners be thinking about when they, like, what should they take away from this report and yeah. work on? Like, what, what should they say? You know what? I need to, I need to work on these things, right? Yeah. So besides the must-have skills and the categories, um, there are two different audiences, right? One, as we already talked about a little bit here, there is the, the leaders or the, the managers, right? The, the, those who shape upskilling and allow and um, make the budgets happen and so on. So they need to create a strategic plan. First, important, identify the skills which achieve business results. What is essential? really do some skill assessment. Map these to the existing functions. Once you have them, understand the gaps. Use the gaps in our report and see, maybe you see the same gaps. And when you see those gaps, map them to what's possible and what's essential of what you need. Um, that's, I think, step one. Step two is really start your upskilling and learning programs Im immediately. We know that have a People, 58% of people have applied a new skill in their role in the last 12 months, which is great. But there's also people who are saying, well, I've only partially uh, leveraged this new skill. So when you introduce and, and focus on upskilling, really make sure that you have an updated and very, very sexy upskilling and learning program and that these people are actually allowing, uh, leveraging what they have learned because you really learn best when you apply what you've learned right away. Um, I think that's, that's important and very essential. And then facilitate continuous learning and, and, and really make sure as a leader, again, back to that, that shadow, casting that shadow of enforcing and rewarding continuous learning, be it on the job learning, be it on putting people into a particular role, coaching, et cetera, et cetera. Now, for individuals, it's a little bit different. Um, I do not 
like to hear the excuse that, well, my management is not supporting, uh, we don't have the time, et cetera, et cetera. You must own your upskilling journey yourself because it is a professional uh, journey to develop yourself and you be much more valuable both in compensation and you'll be much more happier because you have possibilities to expand uh, your ability. Now, if you are in an organization where you say where they say, well, you don't have we, we don't have the time or you, you don't get the budget, et cetera, et cetera, maybe you want to suggest a, a model which I found very interesting. It's called the 70-20-10 model. And this model, based on research, it, sh- it shows that people learn the best in 70% when they learn best when they are getting challenging tasks. The 20% of learning is when they are developing a relationship. So I sit with a developer, DevOps, right? I sit with a tester, QA. I do site reliability because I am a service desk, but I want to do more. And then 10% is around uh, coursework and certifications. We still see 64% of our survey respondents said certifications are must-have and are very important. So I would invite anybody out there listening, go check out the devopsinstitute.com, check out the uh, certifications we have, other certifications by the PeopleCert organization or our partner network who have extensive certifications. And then of course, the vendor community has lots of certifications, AWS, Oracle, SAP, even Mainframe. Those are really good ways to get started. I think you bring up a really good point, and that was in the beginning of that about you know, the journey. You own your drone journey. You own your upskilling journey. And because I was going to ask the questions like, how do you deal with people who are not really growth oriented? Um, to me, that is the uh, win word. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of core value. We have some core values. We have some key behaviors that we look for people. But if I had to say the golden rule, right, is that um, you have to be growth oriented to work at Winward, right? You have to be because if you're not growth-oriented for yourself, then you're not going to be growth-oriented for the company and you're not going to be growth-oriented for the client, right? So you have to have that core innate feeling of saying, you know, I'm, I'm always, there's always something for me to learn. And you have to own that. And it's like, if you're saying, well, my company's not supporting it, then that's not an excuse, right? That's like being, yeah. that's like being in a bad relationship, right? You know, just, just say, look, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to go take care of myself and the world will, you know, opportunities will present me and maybe it's not at your current company because they didn't support you but somebody will recognize and be like hey you've got some really great skills and, and certifications and things like that and we want you to come work for us in maybe a much better environment so yeah there's some great research out there by uh, dr carol dweck w uh, d-w-e-c-k she's a professor at stanford university she is, writes about and talks about and evangelizes and i almost want to say preach but in a positive way around the growth mindset um, excellent research, uh, an excellent uh, book. The, I think it's called The Mindset. I have it sitting here on my bookshelf. Highly recommend anybody out there who is doubting that upskilling uh, uh, is, is essential to read it. It goes exactly to your point of what you said, who you guys are hiring. We do the same. We only hire people. And I'd love to only work with people like that. But unfortunately, there's the other kind. And try to convert them. Yeah, yeah, I mean you come across people like that in in everything. So, um, so what was the name of that author again? Dr. Carol Carol Dweck. D 
like dummy, W like war, uh, E like Evelyn, C like Charlie, K like uh, kindergarten. Okay, excellent. Evelyn, it's always a pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. Uh, your, your guys' insights are, are always spot on. So we will, we will have you on again because we love having you. So thank you very much for coming on and I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks so much for listening. For show notes and links related to everything discussed today, access to archive episodes, and to download the free guide, Nine Ways to Accelerate Your Service Reliability Strategy, head to winward.com. That's W-I-N-D-W-A-R-D.com.